Hola, hola. I'm Francisca Valenzuela. I'm an artist and singer-songwriter from Chile. I think I loved and love Donde Están Los Ladrones so much because I had never heard a female artist in Spanish sing about these themes, sing in this way, talk with such honesty and such humor about being a woman in the world. And I had never seen something like that so rich and so funny and so free. With more than 80 million records sold worldwide, Shakira is the best-selling female Latin artist ever. She's been nominated for six Grammys and has won 11 Latin Grammys, giving her a Guinness World Record. By nearly all accounts, she's one of the biggest stars on the planet. But within her decades-long career, there's one album that set her up for massive global fame and in many ways predicted it all. 1998's Donde Están Los Rajones. Donde Están Los Rajones is an eclectic pop album with a rock edge that broke Shakira into the U.S. Latin market and made her a household name in the Spanish-language pop world. Shakira had been building her career in Colombia and had some success with her third album, P.S. Descalzos. Released in 1995, that record was an unexpected breakthrough that led to a meeting with Emilio Estefan, the industry titan who had mastered what the Anglo world dubbed the Latin crossover. Estefan briefly managed Shakira and also served as the executive producer behind Donde Están Los Sardrones, which came together during an intensive nine-month process. Just 21 at the time, Shakira was creating a bold, female-led pop rock style, and it stood out from the male-dominated balladry that was all over Latin radio in the 90s. But she also experimented with big swelling ballads, Mexican ranchera arrangements, and Middle Eastern dance pop. This mix gave the album a global appeal that connected all kinds of listeners across the Spanish-speaking world. It was an essential album for a generation of women. Artists like the R&B singer Jesse Reyes, who was raised between Colombia and Canada, has vivid memories of discovering the album. The first tape I ever bought, <laughs> I was like under 10 years old. I was in Cali, Colombia. And I remember walking by the street vendor that had a bunch of tapes and this one just caught my eye. And it was Shakira's Donde Están Los Ladrones. I remember going back to my tia's house and playing it and being like, what is this? Francisca Valenzuela, the Chilean-American multi-instrumentalist and pop star, was drawn to the way that Shakira poured raw, honest emotion into her lyrics. And I thought, okay, there's a space for me to also be an artist and write these songs that have these mouthfuls of words, all these ideas, all of these raw emotions that feel uncomfortable or awkward and or that can reflect those awkward moments in life. And I think that really ignited in me the passion to make pop music with that kind of grit and that kind of teeth and honesty. Donde Están Los Ladrones went multi-platinum in several Latin American countries and won two awards at the first ever Latin Grammys. It made Shakira a massive star in the Spanish-speaking world. 
and it set her up to become an even bigger, more global force who would go on to conquer the English language pop market in the years that followed. One, two, three, four, five, break down, baby. I'm Brittany Spanos, senior writer for Rolling Stone and your host for Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, the podcast where we dig into 10 albums off our brand new list. In this episode, Shakira's Donde Están Los Ladrones. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Rolling Stone staff writer Julissa Lopez grew up listening to Donde Están Los Ladrones. Here she is with the story behind the album. Shakira Isabel Mevarak Repol was born in the Colombian coastal city of Barranquilla, and got interested in singing, performing, and writing music as a child. Her father was a jeweler of Lebanese descent, born in New York City. Shakira had a close connection to Lebanese culture and began belly dancing at a young age. Here's Shakira talking about her background in a promotional clip for Sony. I started dancing when I was four years old. I wrote my first song when I was eight, and I decided that I wanted to be a singer for the rest of my life when I was 10 years old. So I think music is my passion. What I like about pop music is that... She signed her first record deal with Sony at the age of 13 and produced two albums, Magia from 1991 and Peligro from 1993. Both were commercial failures, but she never gave up on songwriting. In the mid-90s, when Sony asked her to join a compilation album called Nuestro Rock, she had lyrics ready to go for a song called Donde Estás Corazón. Her label set her up with a producer named Luis Fernando Choa, who became her close collaborator. The song was a breakout hit and one of the standouts on her third album, Pies Descalzos. The album helped Shakira find a more rock-oriented sound that turned her music career around. By 1997, Pies Descalzos had sold 3 million copies. Shakira was an emerging star in Latin America, but she was about to take a leap. Her success in the U.S. had ramped up quickly, and Pies Descalzos was going gold there. She traveled to Miami, where a promoter named Jairo Martinez introduced her to Emilio Estefan. He's the Cuban mega-producer and industry mogul behind Miami Sound Machine, the influential band that made his wife Gloria a star. This is how he remembers Shakira coming into his orbit. 
Well, in Miami, living in Miami, we didn't have a lot of a lot of information. We knew that she got a hit, the PSS Castle, which it was great. But I love her voice and I love her attitude and uh, and you know something is a is a coincidence because she came to the studio looking to rent the studio and then she she walked around and she said, yeah, I want to do it. And then uh, like two hours later, I said, I want you to produce the album. And the guy who came with her was Jairo Martinez from Colombia. It was so funny because. Uh, I said, okay, but how do you decide that? I don't know. It's about chemistry. It's about, you know, I think I have a, we have a connection. I said, well, Jackie, you know, let me work on something, something for you, and maybe you come like a couple of days. He said, okay. I mean, that uh, sounds even better. Estefan and Shakira talk some more, and eventually, Shakira decided he wouldn't just produce her album. He'd be her manager, too. She also had the backing of Gloria Stefan, who'd become her close friend and mentor. Shakira worked on music at Crescent Moon Studios in Miami, the famed recording compound that the Estefans opened in the 90s. She kicked off nine months of hyper-focused creative work that led to her fourth studio album, the biggest production of her career until then. I think we got lucky she came to the right place because, you know something, we believe in her from the beginning. We knew she has totally, totally something different. Shakira was especially focused on the songwriting process. In 1997, while wrapping up her Pies Descalzos tour, she was at the airport in Bogota when her suitcase was stolen. Inside were all of her journals, her notes, and her lyrics. Every song idea she'd had over the last few years was gone. Shakira did everything. She offered rewards, she ran announcements on Colombian news stations, and she begged for the music to be given back. That's Shakira on MTV in 1999, talking about the loss of her songs. She says she was depressed, traumatized, and had complete writer's block. The experience became the inspiration for the title of the album, Donde Están Los Ladrones, or Where Are the Thieves? She had to start the writing process all over again. Being in the U.S. led to sessions with new composers, musicians, and producers. One of those people was Dylan O'Brien, a songwriter and studio musician who's worked with everyone from The Temptations to Bonnie Raitt. He's also the guy who played the piano and the theme from The Office. He did an early session with Shakira and remembers her being a little shy and quiet. Still, she made an impression. And uh, when she came in the studio... Just, just to me, a, a, just this tiny little girl. I'm kind of a big guy, and um, and she was uh, so shy and soft-spoken. She had a, an incredible charisma. She was very likable from the very beginning, even without saying anything. She had an energy about her that was very, uh, you know, uh, soothing or. It just made you feel good. She walked in the room, and and she just sort of had a presence about her. You know. O'Brien had heard that Shakira was a young Colombian artist who had sold three million records and that she wanted to try something in the vein of Sheryl Crow. O'Brien had a lot of experience with that style. So, while they waited for another songwriter to arrive at the studio, he began playing a few song ideas for her. I started playing things on the piano, and she was sitting next to me, and she would make these noises like... uh, Mm. like shaking her head, like nodding in approval if she liked it, and then if she didn't like it, it would be like, mm, mm, <laughs> shaking her head no. And uh, we just did that for 
uh, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour, trying to find something she liked. And, I, and we had come up with, uh, you know, the music for a verse and uh, a B section that was nice. And, um, but because they had told me about this Sheryl Crow thing I had in my head, it, a lot of times in that context, if you listen to those types of songs, they don't have these big gigantic choruses musically. So we kept at it and she just wasn't going for anything that I was coming up with for a chorus. And I said, well, let me listen to some of your other records because I hadn't heard anything, no one had played me anything. And we went into the control room and they played me a couple of her hits. And you know, this huge voice comes out of these speakers that didn't at all fit this little shy girl that was sitting next to me. And I just, a, sort of a light went off in my head. I was like, oh man, I said, I, I think I know what, what, what will work here. That song became Tu, a soaring power ballad. But she wasn't interested in sticking only to one sound. And with such a big voice, it seemed like she could do it all. On Pies Descalzos, she gravitated toward rock, and she brought a lot of that energy to Donde Están Los Ladrones. Sebastian Chris is now a six-time Grammy winner and 13-time Latin Grammy winner, who's produced for Juanes, Luis Fonsi, and Aldous Costello, among many others. One of his big breaks came when he was at Crescent Moon Studios and heard that they were auditioning engineers for Shakira's album. He landed the job. As someone who'd worked with rock and punk bands, he found that he understood a lot of Shakira's reference points. She was a big fan of Blur, um, you know, and she turned me on to the Great Escape record, you know, Radiohead and, you know, a lot of that, that 90s sort of British alternative, I would say, rock or pop rock that was going on uh, at the time, you know, the Verve and, and bands like that. Uh, but obviously she has her own sensibilities and, and it just morphed into something else. And, and also nobody in Latin pop was doing that. There's a longstanding tradition of rock in Espanol. And at this time, there were several Spanish-speaking rock and indie artists, like the radical Andrea Chevri from Atercio Pelados and the folk singer Julieta Venegas. But mainstream Latin radio was still dominated by super-polished pop, mostly written and often performed by men. The best-selling albums at the beginning of 1998 were Alejandro Fernandez's Me Estoy Enamorando and Ricky Martin's Vuelve, which was heavy on balladry. There wasn't a solo pop act, much less a female one, who was chasing after the big, mainstream pop rock sound Shakira was going for. The easy comparison people threw around most often was Alanis Morissette, but Shakira was making her style totally distinct. Leila Cobo, the vice president and Latin industry lead for Billboard, was a pop music critic at the Miami Herald around that time. She remembers thinking how much Shakira stood out. The music scene in mainstream Latin pop back then was more, I want to say, traditional. There were artists like Thalia and like Paulina Rubio, but it was very much Mexican pop, uh, which was great. There was some great material. I'm not saying it was bad at all, but it was very different from this. She was doing something that was a little bit more rock and roll, 
more like Gloria Trevi was also doing that kind of stuff, but Shakira was doing it with more of a of a, an American or a British rock attitude than anything else coming from Latin America. And again, what I found her, me personally at the time, I found her to be extremely relatable. Songs like Donde Están Los Ladrones, the title track, let Shakira unleash her full croquera as she sang lyrics that questioned what modern-day thieves look like. It was a nod to the thieves who'd stolen her suitcase and veiled criticism of political corruption in Colombia at the time. Inevitable was an angsty rock ballad. But then there was the album's first track and lead single, Ciega Sorda Muda. It's an iconic opener. with giant Mexican mariachi trumpets and strings. It gave people an idea of how wide-ranging the album would be. Here's Shakira talking about her background in a promotional clip for Sony. Rarely dance music and rock music can coexist in the same album, and that was my challenge. The most interesting fusion that we did in this album was to combine elements like electric guitars, with dance loops, crazy AM radio effects, the traditional Mexican trumpet. All these styles reflected what Shakira was interested in and the many influences she grew up with. The eclecticism was something that hinted at the international path she could chart. Emilio Stefan says he saw her reach right away. I picture her that way. I'm going to tell you, she's Colombia. I'm Cuban. I mean, we're both Lebanese. Grew up in Miami. So we grew up listening to everything. And, you know, I wanted to find a sound that was a, her sound. Her sound is really a mix of different things. It's not like you go, you go to school and you have to use a, a maria, Jose guitar mariachi and Jose mariachi song. Or you have to use a trumpet because a mariachi song. And uh, and that's what I like. I like, you know, that I, in all my productions you see through the years that I do with, with so many other people, I mean, including Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony and, uh, and of course, John Secara. I mean, I, I use a lot of the diverse sounds. You combine blues with, uh, you know, rock, with uh, especially Latino sounds and, and percussion. And uh, she loved that. She loved that, and she, she was going for it because she wanted to create the Shakira sound. Such a range was also smart from a strategic perspective. The Latin music industry encompasses dozens of countries and genres, and such a diverse album would be appealing and marketable in different parts of the world. What linked everything together was Shakira's writing. The songs were about love and heartbreak, but they weren't written in the sappy romantic style favored in Latin pop. Leila Cobo thought it was different. I thought she was doing things that no other female artist was doing. I thought she was speaking in a language, uh, so to speak, that no one else was using back then in pop, much less a woman. I keep saying a woman because th there were like guy male acts and guys and bands, but there was not a solo artist that was saying these things. And they were just so colloquial and so easy to understand and so relatable. And that isn't what was happening lyrically elsewhere. Shakira was funny and unfiltered, a little absurdist and ironic. She mixed an imagery that was, in her own words, kind of grotesque. Ciega Sorda Muda describes her as being so lovesick that she's become ojerosa, flaca, fea, descreñada, or 
haggard, skinny, ugly, disheveled. Moscas en la casa means flies in the house. And it's a song about how she's so depressed about a breakup that she's let her house become overrun by flies. Some breakup songs were rumored to be about the Puerto Rican actor Oswaldo Rios, almost 20 years her senior, who she reportedly dated in 1996. But really, it didn't matter who the songs were about. What stood out, as Sebastian Chris explains, was how intimate they were. It's almost like you're peeking inside somebody's diary. That's what a lot of the songs felt like. You know, like she was just reciting from a very personal diary and from a, a very vulnerable point of view and, and very real. I mean, she's an incredibly smart person and, and the lyrics were very smart, but at the same time, very relatable. Shakira told her own stories, offering a perspective that was clever, sharp, and often cutting, but was also unafraid to be vulnerable. It verbalized feelings so many women experience. It's something that attracted the Chilean-American artist Francisca Valenzuela, who makes bright, empowered pop music in Spanish. I had never heard a female artist in Spanish sing about these themes, sing in this way, talk with such honesty and such humor about, you know, just being a woman in the world and showing herself in all these different facets, whether fury and anger or desire or jealousy, also a lot of like uh, narrative references. So a lot about authors and kind of bringing, building this world where she brings all these different interests. And I had never seen something like that. So kaleidoscopic and so um, rich and so funny and so free and, and kind of thoughtful and intellectual, but at the same time, so fierce. And, you know, all that combination of stuff really, you know, drew me to this album. Shakira took the writing extremely seriously. Sebastian Chris remembers just how much she prioritized lyrics especially after she lost her first round of songs at the airport. You know, I remember calling, I had to talk to her once and calling her and, and I don't remember who answered the phone, but it was like, she can't talk right now, she's writing. I just, I just remember she went dark, you know, um, and then she'd show up with the songs. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few steps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. Pablo Flores was another collaborator on Donde Están los Ladrones. He's a Puerto Rican DJ, producer, and songwriter 
who caught the attention of the Estefans in the 80s. He's made a career with his remixes, which include Ricky Martin's 1995 hit, Maria. He was incredibly impressed by Shakira as a writer, and he remembers her constantly sitting over a notebook of lyrics. Well, you know, that's exactly my memory of her. She's sitting there with her legs crossed on the sofa or on the floor, and she's got this big, huge notebook in front of her, and it's pages and pages of lyrics. And she just sits there and writes. She keeps on writing whenever it occurs to her, and she keeps writing and writing. Sometime into the production of Donde Están Los Ladrones, Flores was on one of the floors of Crescent Moon Studios with his musical partner and collaborator, Javier Garza. They had a ton of melodies and grooves they'd worked on together, including one influenced by Middle Eastern music. Estefan was upstairs with Shakira, showing her a few song ideas he had in mind. Shakira had mentioned that she wanted to do something that honored her Lebanese heritage. Here's Flores. We were downstairs, Javier Garza, my partner back then. We were downstairs doing some other work. Emilio was upstairs with Shakira, playing all the songs he wanted for her to hear. Well, then he would play song after song after song, and then all of a sudden he sends word down to us and he asked us about the Arab-sounding instrumental thing that we had done. He asked us to get it ready and he wanted to play it for her. About 15 minutes later, he sends us up to the big studio for us to meet her and play, you know, our our tune. Um, It so happens that out of everything that he had played for her, the only thing she liked was that Arab-sounding instrumental track that we had done. Javier Garza, a sound engineer and mixer who worked on the album, remembers Shakira's reaction this way. Remember, we, we worked a lot on that track because we, we pitched that to Madonna originally, that, that same track. And uh, Emilio said, guys, Shakira is, loves that track and she wants to work uh, on you with that. She wants to, to write some lyrics and work on ideas and you know come up with a song because it was only a track, you know, it, has, it had everything verse, chorus, bridge, every, it was a whole structured track, but it, it was missing, you know, lyrics and melody. So uh, I'd say, great, let's get together. So I go to the studio, call up that track, you know, open all my, back then, all, all my equipment to recall all the settings for that song. And uh, Shakira shows up, great to be working on this track with you guys. Um, let me hear it. Let me hear it. I love this track. So I would play this, the track and she would be, you know, getting into it and getting into it. And we we're thinking of you know, ideas and how can we approach this and that. And she, I think we heard it two or three times and then she stopped. It's like, okay, that's amazing. Let's do something completely different. The group started from scratch with Shakira at the helm. Within about a day, they had the music down for the song Ojos Así. The track they'd originally played for her, by the way, ended up on Mandy Moore's One Sided Love. Said, okay, let me let me go home and write some lyrics. Huh? I think two or three days later, she called me. I got the melody. I got the melody, and I have the lyrics. I changed this a little bit and there, but listen to the lyrics. And she sung and on the phone, and I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, she really, you know, made it her own and wrote all those lyrics and and, and modified a lot of the melodies. And it was like, I was like, what? Crazy. I mean, crazy good. I mean, I was blown away. Así became the biggest production on Donde Están Los Ladrones. Shakira wanted it to be as detailed as possible, so the team brought in Middle Eastern players from across Miami. 
Javier Garza remembers driving around the city to find musicians who played specific Middle Eastern instruments and convincing them to come into the studio to perform on the track. You know, I'm no expert in Arabic music, but I've, I've heard a lot of it, and I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, a lot of people. But, you know, that sound, that traditional sound, is because a lot of instruments play in a block, and even the percussion follows that block. So we wanted to, you know, if we're going to go Arabic, we wanted to, you know, do it right. Pablo Flores says the track was an example of Shakira's commitment to getting the music to sound exactly how she heard it in her head. Well, it came time to get all the real Arab instruments in there, Middle Eastern instruments. And she was very picky about that. And she wanted it to be very authentic as much as possible. You know, it was a rock beat and whatever, but she wanted that authenticity. And we got sitars and we got ouds and we got the little finger bells. We actually had a woman go in there playing the finger bell. That's all she did. Every once in a while, ding, ding, ding. The chorus was partially in Arabic and included several choir singers that Flores and Garza brought into the studio. You know, I always knew it was going to be a hit. And then that chorus was so catchy, especially the male chorus, which was that part. Uh, and Emilio at first was a little sure about it. He said it sounded too much like 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 a pirate movie or from Disney World or or something like that. Um, he had this pirate thing, and I always you know I always told him no, Emilio, it's catchy and I think it'll work and it's uh, very authentic. Footage online released by Sony shows Shakira in the studio, huddled over mixer controls, singing over guitars, and listening to percussion rhythms in rooms filled entirely with men. She's not only the only woman, but the youngest by far. Yet by most accounts, she was assertive about what she felt was right. She was definitely leading that ship. Here's producer Sebastian Chris again. And and she definitely pushed us to be better and was going after something. And even if our inexperience, we, we really didn't know how to articulate it properly at the time. You know, she would just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and, and really glad that she did because it's, it's there on the record. If something wasn't working for her, she was just like, no, that's not it. And you're not going to convince her to change her mind. It's either going to be truthful to her, it's going to feel right to her, or it's going to be wrong. Ojos Así became a huge dance hit, landing in the top 10 of Billboard's Latin pop airplay chart. And it foreshadowed the international success Shakira would have in the future. Today, the idea of crossing over feels outdated. Plenty of artists like Bad Bunny, J Balvin, and Maluma have insisted on singing only in Spanish, and they've become huge doing so. But in the late 90s, the English and Spanish markets seemed much more segmented, and performing in English was seen as the key to unlocking the doors to mainstream pop. It was a formula that had worked for Gloria Stefan and later Ricky Martin. So throughout the process of recording Donde Están Los Ladrones, Shakira had one other task she'd been completely focused on. She was learning English in the hopes of pulling off an English-language album. She works closely with Gloria Stefan, and the songs on Donde Están Los Ladrones became a sort of testing ground. Here's Gloria Stefan in an interview with Oprah Winfrey. I heard you literally uh, translated songs for Shakira. Yes, because she didn't think she could do it. And she's a poet, so I was listening to her songs in Spanish, and I would hear in my head, I go, Shaki, these songs, 
I go, I'm going to do a couple for you so you see. And I did Inevitable, which she really? sang on television. And I wrote her a couple of the other ones. And knowing Shakira, who's very competitive, and the minute she sees like an opening, she goes, I can do this. Some artists have never done it. They've stayed in Spanish, even though they may have been able to cross over. And I showed her that she could do it, and boom. Once Gloria had translated Inevitable, which became inevitable in English, Shakira performed it on The Rosie O'Donnell Show and one of her first ever American TV appearances. She and Gloria worked on a few other songs, including Ojo Sassi, which would appear in Shakira's English-language debut, Laundry Service, from 2001, as Eyes Like Yours. Emilio Stefan explains how determined Shakira was to learn. She told me, Emilio, I don't speak English, but you know something, you learned Portuguese, and you know something? The thing is with her, I believe so much in her, that I say, we're going to do it, Shakira. Whatever it takes, we're going to do it. And let me tell you, Gloria was a, was a key element. I, I'm so proud of Gloria being in the position that she was, I mean, with so many hits. I mean, she believed so much in her that you helped her a lot with, you know, the lyrics and the pronunciations. And it was hours and hours and hours in the studio. And then when she took the, uh, of course, we put a tutor, and the tutor was fantastic. But, you know, she, she when she wants to do something, she does it. I mean, it's not to waste about it. She has, a, you know, one way to go, only one way, Shakira's way. Now, she only listened to a couple of people, and I was lucky enough to, that she always believed in me, and at the same time, that, how much I believe in her. When it finally came out on September 29th, 1998, Donde Están Los Ladrones sold 300,000 copies. By the end of that month, it had sold more than 1 million copies. Today, it's the ninth best selling Latin album in the U.S. Then the album led to her first Grammy nomination for Best Latin Rock, Urban, or Alternative Album. In 1999, Sony started to back its Latin pop stars as they made bids in the U.S. market. This, of course, would become known as the Latin Boom, a nickname that feels clumsy and reductive years later, given how Latin artists have always been an integral part of American pop music. And Shakira has always been a central figure, among the artists Sony Latin supported, she had the highest sales in Latin America and had proven that she resonated with fans. It was time to win over the English language market. Laundry Service would be the album that introduced Shakira to the English-speaking world. There would be controversies around her crossing over. People would criticize Shakira for dyeing her hair blonde and using her identity as a white Latina to appeal to Anglo audiences. Shakira would go on to reinvent herself many more times, trying out electronic music, reggaeton, and even bachata, as she became an enduring symbol of global pop. Donde Están Los Ladrones was the precursor to all of that. It was the album where Shakira became a star in Latin America. The Colombian-Canadian R&B singer Jessie Reyes explains the pride she felt as she saw Shakira progress. It's crazy to be able to bond with someone's music and then have so many other songs be part of your upbringing and feel so much pride when you see their career blossom because you were there early on, you know? Like when I went back to Canada and Canadians were like, oh, who's Shakira? And I think like her music started blowing up more over there. It was just cool to be like, I know Shakira from before. And the album has stood up over time. It still means a lot to generations of fans who saw the songs as anthems, as Francisca Valenzuela remembers. When Shakira came out, we were noticing 
all these different parts of her and we were loving all these different parts of her and it felt very free and very alive and very intimate and very real and I think that was really refreshing and I and it was very inspiring so you know in a world where we weren't hearing that I think and at least on the radios and in my in, in my world kind of a, which was a very commercial whatever was on the radio or whatever was on TV it was such a refreshing thing as Leila Cobo describes, Donde Están Los Ladrones laid the groundwork for everything that Shakira would go on to achieve. I love that people are recognizing that before Shakira in English, there was this Shakira in Spanish who became a mega superstar in the Latin world. And this is the music that made her a mega superstar. So really, this is more her essence, perhaps than anything else, because this was the album, the body of work that allowed her to become, you know, truly international in other languages other than her native Spanish. Some of her collaborators say that it's an album that they still get approached about more than 20 years later. For Sebastian Chris, it stands up. I think it's an honest record. It's not a pretentious uh, album um, and I and I think that that really comes through for me I mean it just sounds like a very simple compact honest pop record and he still treasures the role he played in the creation of this iconic album I think the last time I ran into her was backstage at, a, at one of the Grammy Awards but you know it's an opportunity to just say thank you and be grateful that you were a small part of uh, something that touched so many people Shakira's Donde Están Los Ladrones ranks number 496 on Rolling Stone's new greatest albums of all time list. I'm Brittany Spanos. This has been Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums, an Amazon original podcast. Executive producers are Christian Horde, Hank Steamer, Gus Winner, and myself. This episode was produced by Julissa Lopez. Mixing by Marquise Neal. Our senior producer is Michelle Lands. Additional production help by Mary Dew. Bridget Shelsey is our production manager. Peter Miller is our music supervisor. Fact-checking by Jonathan Bernstein. Supervising executives for Amazon Music are Nathan Brackett, Morgan Jones, Steph Walkening, and Lauren D. And for Rolling Stone, Jason Fine. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums every Tuesday. And hear it first on Amazon Music. Hey, listeners, it's Will Arnett. Our podcast, Smartless, has crossed a milestone that seemed unfathomable when we started nearly four years ago as we've just released our 200th episode. Join us as we welcome that dynamic duo of hilarity, Steve Martin and Martin Short. You've seen them on screen together in The Three Amigos, Father of the Bride 1 and 2, and most recently, and Only Murders in the Building. Both are comedic geniuses in their own right, but together they are always electric. And this episode of Smartless is no exception. I don't know if I've laughed more in a single episode than this one. We discuss their career arcs both separately and as a comedy team, how they met, who is more difficult to work with, and what motivates them today. Is Steve a better banjo player than Marty as a singer? Find out on this bicentennial episode of Smartless. Follow Smartless in the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you get to hear Sean cry. What a loser! <laughs> <laughs>